This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. We are living in a very unique time in, um, in the fact that in, in my lifetime, I have not seen protests like this all across 50 states. I have not seen on my social media uh, all the ways in which uh, my friends are taking their children uh, to these protests to educate and inform our next generation about the importance of um, every person, whichever nationality, race, color, that they're important and they're valuable. And these are things that we've all heard, especially within the church. But I do believe this time is different. Will it lead to lasting change? That is the hope. Um, But as a church, we want to address it. Because we believe this is not just a race issue. It's not just a justice issue. I believe this is a heart issue. I believe this is a love issue. I believe this is a sin issue. Especially as you hear... And as you're reminded of George Floyd. Uh, George Floyd did uh, commit a crime. But what he endured because of that, and what happened to him because of that, is what we want to talk about. Uh, he, He was not shot to death. He was slowly killed. He was pinned down by three men in blue uniforms who are supposed to protect and serve. They had pinned him down, and with one man, his knee on George Floyd's neck. He yelled, I can't breathe, 16 times in a matter of five minutes. He was pinned down for a total of about 8 minutes and 46 seconds. The ambulance came, took him to a local hospital, and was pronounced dead at that hospital. If this was a one-time incident, that's one thing. But we all know this is not a one-time incident. Uh, Black men and women have been unjustly treated in the US. And as we hear the names of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, Christian Cooper, And the list goes on and on, far too long. And the ripple effect of this injustice has actually now impacted all of America in a way where even for the Korean American in the US, we feel the pain a little bit because we've heard their cry. What do I mean? The protests that were supposed to be peaceful have turned violent. And many people have criticized uh, these protests, saying that they shouldn't turn violent. And I would agree, they should not turn violent. And I think even in our anger, I think we can think that, that we can criticize the protests without actually understanding what is going on. For myself, my sister-in-law, her parents shop Uh, that they've been working uh, in for 40 years was looted. 
Um, and my brother uh, writes on his Facebook, uh, my in-laws uh, lost uh, their small store of 40 years in West, in West Philadelphia during the protest and looting over one night, undoing 40 years of hard work to establish themselves. They serviced the neighborhood mostly with school uniforms that, were, that are required by the local schools. They made minimal profit to make sure that the local students can afford school uniforms. And you hear a story like this, Mr. Choi, and it does anger you because he had lost a lifetime's uh, amount of work for this. And I think we can then start to potentially judge the protests. But I want to remind us of what Martin Luther King said about these protests. He stood for and encouraged nonviolent protests. He said things like, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And we hear that and we completely agree. And this is what he would say of rioting. He would say, let me say, as I've always said, and I always will continue to say, that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say with my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. And I continue to affirm that there is another way. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see, I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. And so as an Asian American man, as a Korean American man, as I know people whose, whose uh, livelihoods have been ruined because of the looting, I am angry. I don't like it. But as much as angry as I am towards these injustices, what Martin Luther King would be telling me is that I need to have the same kind of anger towards the injustice towards our black uh, neighbors. He continues on. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. It is the language of the unheard. What is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these reoccurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. Social justice 
and progress are the absolute guarantors for riot prevention. And so when we see the news and it breaks our hearts and we think this is 2020, what in the world is going on? Martin Luther King would say, the social justice injustice still continues. And for us as a people to wake up. What is it that America is not hearing? What are these riots telling us? It's telling us of an oppression, of a bias that has led to an oppression. Open up your Bibles to James. James 2, 1 to 7. James is a book that many of us are familiar with and many of us recognize that James is different than all the other books where James has an emphasis all the more on how you live. Not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And as he talks about being a doer of the word, he talks about this idea of the law of liberty. The law of liberty, this law that sets you free. You think that the ways in which, if you're to follow God's ways, we are, in one sense, taking ourselves away from liberty, from freedom, from, from happiness. And what he is saying is when you, get, when you submit yourself to these laws, these ways of God, it leads to freedom. And so it's in that context, as we know that we're not saved by good works, but we're certainly saved for good works, that the church has to hear these words in James 2, Verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We've read those words before. You've memorized those words. And it's in this day, in June 2020, you realize how true it is that we must be men and women, we must be a church, we must be a people that show no partiality. Because I know in the past, when we've read a passage like this, you're thinking, what's the big deal? Right? What's the big deal of these biases that we have? What's the big deal that we treat certain people a certain way? For in this example, what he's going to be talking about are the rich. And for many of us, we like the rich. Right? For many of us, we want to be rich. Right? For me, if I know that someone is rich and becomes to our church, in my mind, yes! Because then we have more tithing and that we can do more for the gospel. Right? But he shows here so clearly that even that desire has to be questioned. In verse 2, speaking about what happens when you show simply a subtle prejudice. For if a man wearing a gold ring, fine clothing, comes into your, into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit in a good place, while, the, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
I know when I read this before, I'm thinking, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? To show favor to someone who has a little bit more money. I'm not oppressing anyone. But he makes it very clear what happens when you have these distinctions, these, these, this partiality, these, these biases. He's saying, have you then not made distinctions among yourselves? Now, obviously, he's not simply saying that you recognize one is poor and one is rich. That is not what is wrong. It's how you treat someone who is rich as opposed to treat someone who is poor. Right? That's what he's getting at. And he's saying when you make those kinds of distinctions and therefore treat people differently, he calls it evil thoughts. He calls it evil thoughts. You become judges who carry about the way that you think with these evil thoughts. And then he goes into, in verse 5, how antithetical, how completely opposite this is of God. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, you have to be aware that when you show any kind of prejudice, any kind of bias, no matter how small you think it is, it is completely antithetical. It is completely different than what Jesus would want. So he says in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers. So he's now urging them, reminding them that we are the same. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? What's he saying? He's saying, do you not love and care for those whom God loves and cares for? Do not call yourself a follower of Christ, right? As he's talking about, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Don't just say you profess, but then live differently. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. You have dishonored the poor man, the very man that God honors, we dishonor. And this was written to a people that were struggling with prejudice with finances. And I know what God would have to say to us. For the disenfranchised, for the orphan, for the widow, for the single mother, and in America, for the black man, for the black woman. What God would be then saying is, the one in which God honors, we dishonor. And so we have to be proactive in honoring those that the culture has marginalized. And the church must be different. We have to be different in how we see people. Isn't it so beautiful to think that God honors the black man? Think about that. And all that's going on in America, that God honors the black person, right? And I am not saying God doesn't honor the Asian American or the white American. I am not saying that. Obviously, God made his people according to his image. And he values the life that they have because they're made in the image of God. And what this text is saying is those that the, that the, the, the society marginalizes, God 
has a tender heart towards. He honors them. And he talks about it in a way where they now have a faith because of the oppression. God is actually showing favor because of the hardships that they have gone through. And so later on as we pray, what we want to pray for is that through even all the oppression, that the gospel would enter into these black neighborhoods. That would be the hope that all the pain that they've suffered wouldn't end there, but God would redeem, redeem that people. He continues on, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who, who drag you into court? Are, not, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You have to be able to see this. He is saying, the very person that you show favor towards is the very person that will one day oppress you. And he's saying that is why it is evil. He is saying when you give favor to someone, what you do is you give power to someone. And that power is then used for oppression. And that's what biases do. We think, I just like this a little bit better. That's all. And just, just what I'm comfortable with. But what happens is when a society adopts that value, that's what we would call systematic oppression. You see, oppression is a result of one subtle bias. That's it. If I don't like something for no good reason, it's an unfair bias. And therefore, if I have a position of power or privilege, if I simply don't do anything about it, just my own natural thinking in my own day, I'll end up oppressing somebody because of these subtle biases. See, oppression is a result of a subtle bias. Systematic oppression is a result of a subtle cultural bias. Imagine a group of people thinking about one thing about one person. It's that. That subtle bias that leads towards racism and oppression and justice. You see, it's when a whole culture adopts a value and thinks, hey, I'm not the one doing the oppressing, right? That's what, that's what this person would say, hey, in, 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 this, in this passage in James. This person would say, I'm not the one doing the oppressing. I'm just showing a little bit of favor to the rich person. And what James's argument is, is by doing that, you're giving them power. And by that power, they're oppressing saying that there is really no innocent bystander standard in the world of oppression. Imagine this. A new kid comes to a school, has a haircut that's a little bit different than every other person's haircut. And one cool kid says, that's a funny-looking haircut. Everybody laughs. And next thing you know, other people are saying, he's got a funny-looking haircut. He's got a funny-looking haircut. They make fun of him. What's happened? One person's subtle bias, for he's thinking, I'm not hurting him. I just made a comment about his hair. It's a little bit different, a little bit funny. And everyone else then adopts that value. What do you have? You have now a kid drowning in, a, in social oppression, right? To get out of that. It's what we call bullying, right? That's what it is. It's when a group of people adopt a a subtle bias that they think has no harm, 
But all people who have ever been bullied, we recognize how evil and how hurtful that is because we are on the opposite end of it. But often bullies don't think they're really doing anything that bad unless they're actually physically harming someone. And that's what's happening here. It's this picture of a person. And this is in the, in the, in the scenario of a church that a rich person comes in. And that person may be the, the local rabbi welcoming them. Not thinking, I'm not oppressing the poor, but what James is saying is when you show even the subtle biases and you act it out, what you end up doing is oppressing the person who does not have, uh, who is not in that privileged position. And so we've heard a lot of people say recently that silence is violence. And I do believe that is biblical. You may not be the ones acting upon racist thoughts. And so you think you're not complicit. You think your hands are free. But the picture of this uh, person in James is that this person is simply showing favor to the rich, but by doing so enables the rich to oppress. And saying that favoritism is evil. And that's a, the that's a title of this passage. It's the sin of partiality, the evil of partiality. And so how do we stop oppression? There's three ways in which this text says it. First, it talks about, and it'll show us what this person doesn't do. That people need to choose to speak up. That people need to choose to speak up. In this situation, in this instance, when this person simply goes to the rich man and shows a little bit of favor to this rich man, what he doesn't do is speak up, speak up against it. Right? He is simply complicit. Imagine what would have happened if this man is showing this, this rich man to a nicer seat, and then somebody else from the synagogue said, Hey, Rabbi, why are you giving favor to that person? There's another person right here who is in need. This person was here first. What would potentially have happened? That person would have been corrected. And say, oh, you're right, you're right. I should honor even the poor person here. Do you see how that would have happened? How this whole situation would have been different if someone would have spoken up. The people have to choose to. It's a choice. It's a proactive choice. I am going to speak up. It's uncomfortable. I don't know how my uncle would respond. I'm going to choose to speak up. It's going to be a little bit hard, but I'm going to stand up for the life and the value of my black neighbors. And as he continues on, you know what's so crazy is James goes further along in, in the verses 8 following, helping them see your sin of favoritism, the subtle bias that you have. He compares it to adultery, compares it to murder. And we would all say adultery and murder, it's pretty bad. What James is helping them see, helping us see, our thinking is biases aren't really that bad. I am not the one that's actually hurting somebody. James goes out of his way then to help us see these biases are no different than adultery and murder. 
And so we have to choose. That's why James goes out of his way to, to help us. We have to choose to speak up. We have to choose to be people who change our biases. These biases that we have, we don't even know, right? You don't even know that you like the color blue, right? As a kid, you just always chose that color shirt. You didn't recognize it. And the challenge then is to change your biases, to intentionally do something about these biases that you have. I know that what I'm talking about uh, may not fully resonate with you because not everyone here is from the US, right? Uh, in uh, my small group, we were talking about this issue. And one of our church members who did a lot of humanitarian work uh, in Thailand, and he was telling me when he was trying to raise awareness for trafficking and slavery in Thailand, as he, as he tried to raise money and try to spread awareness, how, how hard it was. And what he was helping me see is that, is that there are injustices all around us, right? Even here in this room, uh, through all those who are viewing, there's injustice all around us. So what I'm saying very, very clearly is that, is that you have to be men and women of justice, wherever you are. That's the, the bottom line. But what I'm going to say is this. If you've lived in the U.S., if you studied in the US, if you've worked for a little bit in the US, you have benefited. This is now a part of your story. Yes, you may not fly out to the US to protest, but the encouragement and the challenge is to speak up. It is when a culture adopts a new set of values to speak up. The way in which oppression changes is when people choose to speak up, the general people, the large majority of the people speak up, when a large majority of the people choose to change their biases, and then the people of power choose to serve. The people of power choose to serve. The problem in this text is not that this man is rich. The issue is he uses his wealth, his position, his privilege, his power for oppression. That's the problem. And this is radically different than our faith. Men and women who are called to lead in the church, called to lead in society, what does God often say of these people in position? You're given the position, the position of strength, power, privilege to serve. This is radically different than all other religions, is it not? All other religions. It's, it's, it's be better, do good, and then maybe, maybe you'll be allowed into eternity, into heaven, into whatever it is. And what's God's paradigm? It's completely different, is it not? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this is now a description of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our faith. This is Christianity. It's when God himself empties himself, uses his position then to save, to be generous, to be sacrificial. Is it not the call of husbands who are called to be heads of households? What is their primary role? To picture Christ in his service. What is a pastor? This position that I've been given. Is it not to, at the end of the day, serve you, to love you, to help you, to sacrifice? And now to think any position that you have been put in, or you have any power, any privilege, you are called to use that to help, to serve, to be generous, to sacrifice. That is the only way in which riots will end. That is the only way in which there will finally be, be justice for minorities, for the black men, for the black women, right? for minorities of all colors, for orphans, for widows, for the sojourner, sojourner. It was always that the majority has to choose to help the minority. You felt that here as a minority. Right? If the majority does not intentionally choose to go out of their way to help the minority, the minority never has a voice, never is, a, is put into a position of power. This is why we have to address it. Because I do believe the hope for racial equality is in the church. It is the gospel. It is what Christ has done for us. And as we then truly understand the humility of Christ, that is when we, as a church, as a people, we will choose to sacrifice. It's not easy. No one said it's easy. But that is a call of the church. Christ emptied himself. May we live lives emptying ourselves to humble places, to uncomfortable places, to be that voice. It's going to lead us into a short prayer time as we trans If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.